Hello friends, this is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable inviting you to stay tuned for this edition of Let's Talk About Jesus This post-Easter, after Resurrection Sunday edition of Let's Talk About Jesus. I want to begin by saying that the celebration of the cross and the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an ongoing celebration for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior. The Christian community should never stop celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we want you to know that we don't just uh, focus on the cross and the resurrection on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. This is the entire focus of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to continue to celebrate in this post-Easter after Resurrection Sunday uh, as we begin to go forward. Uh, from that point, we want to continue to exalt our mighty Savior and to really get deep into the relevance of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why our message is entitled, The Triumph of the cross, the triumph of the cross. It may sound like a contradiction because I want you to clearly understand today Jesus was not a victim while he hung upon that cross. He was a victor and his victory has become our victory today. Hallelujah. Praise God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn for the beginning of this study in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. I want to tell you also that you are in Invited to come to our website, type in THCOG. You can get any recent editions and really past editions of Let's Talk About Jesus. They're in an easy to, to download to any of your devices that you can download from that website and, and everything is free. There's nothing, uh, no charge for anything and you won't be hassled or harangued. <laughs> you don't have to fear that. We just want to share the gospel and we want to be a blessing to people. We have no ulterior motive for being on radio except to exalt the Lord, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we share this opportunity and privilege with other ministers right there in Madison and North Florida. There are local churches who have broadcast on WMAF, and we are in full cooperation with those who share the gospel uh, anywhere in the world and all over the world and right there in Madison. I would encourage you, get out and get in a Bible-believing church on Sunday and 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 get involved uh, with the, the Word of God and the worship of God and the people of God. Amen. Hallelujah. God is calling His people, I believe, like never before, to come together, worship together, Pray together and stand together in this very last day of that we are living in. So, uh, having said that, uh, if you feel this broadcast would be a blessing, in fact, if you feel that WMAF family-friendly programming that you enjoy right there in Madison would be a blessing to someone, uh, you can you can just tell them to type in WMAF. Radio, WMAF Radio. Uh, on their computer, if they're online, it will take them uh, to the streaming live broadcast. What you're hearing right now 
in Madison can be heard anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the world that anyone is connected to the World Wide Web. So just want to remind you of that, that you can share the gospel that way. You can be a media missionary when when the, the Word of God is being brought forth on this channel. And we're just grateful to be part of the great company that is publishing the Word of God around the world. Jesus is coming soon. Hallelujah. And we want to be about our Father's business. Amen. If you're not a Christian today, please stay tuned that you might understand what all the hoopla is about, what what Resurrection Sunday represents and what has been accomplished at the cross. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved it is the power of God. One of the news broadcast uh, broadcasters uh, did a special, and there's a lot of specials that just occurred. One of them was trying to find, uh, could they identify some little piece of wood that may have come from the actual cross of Christ? Friend of mine, I want to make a statement today. It's not about the wood. It's not even about the, the, the finding the cross intact. It's what happened on the cross that makes all the difference. Praise God. What Jesus did, what happened in heaven, and what happened in hell when Jesus died on that cross and rose again the third day. Praise God. Let me read this from a paraphrase. It says, For the story and message of the cross is sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing and on their way to perdition. But to us who are being saved, it is the manifestation of the power of God. Ah, friend, this message is about the triumph of the cross. Not the tragedy of the cross, but the triumph of the cross. Not the defeat at the cross, but the victory of the cross. You see, the cross of Christ is not just the declaration of Christian victory. It is the declaration of Satan's defeat, his utter defeat. That's why all of hell and and the devils himself and the minions of hell oppose the preaching of the cross. Did you know there are some religious organizations that have decided that they do not like to talk about the cross and that that is affiliated with the cross any longer, that we're too advanced, too contemporary, uh, that it isn't appropriate for our audience. Oh, friend, what, what, a, what a mistake has been made. What a, what a, mis, a misappropriation of, of the Bible's truth is taking place today. It makes my heart sick to think that there are those leaders of, of those organizations who have made the statement, uh, and I quote, We don't need a bloody gospel. Oh, friend of mine, that there is no gospel without the blood of Jesus being shed on that old rugged cross. It is no longer the gospel without the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of those who would become actual enemies of the cross. And you expect that without 
outside those who claim to believe the Bible, but not those who claim to believe the Bible and who have been saved by that shed blood. The Bible said in the Old Covenant, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And the Bible said in the New Testament, the New Covenant, that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold after the tradition of our fathers, but with the precious blood of a lamb, without spot and without blemish. Praise God, the precious blood of the lamb. That's why Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and said the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Some religious organizations and, and churches in particular have decided that to delete all of the, the, the songs in their hymnal that has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, friend of mine, I, uh, yes, yes, at, at first glance, if you don't understand the relevance and the love and the power that was represented when Christ died upon that cross, you can't get it. But we who are Christians, who are truly saved, we get it, we understand it, and we celebrate, we celebrate a love this great, a sacrifice this Precious, hallelujah, amen. The proclaiming of the cross proclaims Christ's victory in our behalf. It means the loss can be saved. The prisoner can be loosed and go free. And sin's power can be broken. And the grave can be conquered. And death has been defeated. And the gates of hell has been shattered. All because Satan has been defeated at the cross. Praise God. See, at first, the cross looks like a tragedy. It looks like the end of Jesus Christ. It looks like the devil has won a cosmic victory. I like what Ray Pritchard said. He, he kind of uh, used a parody uh, to, to tell this story, how it must have been. Uh, he said by 6 p.m., the party had started in earnest in hell. It was Friday evening, and that meant the party would probably last all night, perhaps to the next day. Everyone who heard the news could barely believe it, but they knew that if it were true, this would be the party to end all parties. So they came one by one in groups of five or ten, and finally a crowd so large no one could begin to count them all. It was the usual Friday night madness with loud music, raucous laughter, off-colored jokes, and plenty of booze for those who wanted to indulge, which was practically everyone. From time to time, their host rose to make a speech to the cheers of the teeming throngs. He exuded the calm confidence of a man who has won his greatest victory. It was a hard fault to be sure until the last moment he was nervous, but then it happened. And when it did, he knew he was the victor at last. Hours passed. The music grew louder. They danced. They sang. They drank. They cheered. They laughed the night away. By Saturday morning, when you would have expected the crowd to be thin, it actually grew larger and louder and even more raucous. 
If any one had gone home, his place was taken by ten other happy revelers, and their host graciously, graciously stayed and parted with them. By Saturday night, people from the distant realms had joined them, making for an even merrier celebration. A few speeches were given, followed by one toast after another, then more dancing, and in the darker corners, wild behavior. Then it happened. No one knows the precise moment. But in the early hours on Sunday morning, a messenger arrived and whispered something in the ear of the host, who seemed to grow faint at the news. Recovering quickly, he ordered several of his top men to check it out. A nervous murmur fell over the crowd. Within a few minutes, the news had been confirmed. Just as fast as it happened, the music stopped. The dancing ended, and on Sunday morning, the party in hell was over. Hell's rejoicing was short-lived. The party that started on Good Friday had ended on Easter Sunday. What seemed like Satan's greatest victory turned into his decisive defeat. How did it happen? What did the cross mean to Satan? A survey of biblical evidence suggests some answers to that very question. Listen carefully. First, when Christ died on the cross, Satan's head was crushed. This reference is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the first promise given after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. It was also the first gospel sermon ever preached. Theologians call it the proto-evangelism. Proto-evangelism or first gospel. These words spoken by God contain the first promise of redemption in the Bible. Everything else in the Bible flows from these words in Genesis 3.15. As the acorn contains the mighty oak, so these words contain the entire plan of salvation. The English preacher Charles Simeon called this verse the sum and summary of the whole Bible. The sum and summary of the whole Bible. Although you may not see it at first glance, Christ is in this verse. He is the ultimate seed of the woman who would one day crush the serpent's ugly head. In the process, his heel would be bruised on the cross. In short, this verse predicts that Jesus would win the victory over Satan, but would himself be wounded at the same time. You see, friend, when Christ died on the cross, Satan struck his heel. Where on his body were the nails pounded in? his hands and feet right through his heels. On Friday about sundown, when they took the dead body of Jesus down from the cross, it appeared that Satan had won the battle. On Sunday morning, the true victor walked out of the grave, alive from the dead. Listen to the wonderful words of Charles H. Spurgeon, and I quote, Look at your master and your king upon the cross, all disdained with blood and dust. 
there was his heel most cruelly bruised. When they take down the precious body and wrap it in fair white linen and in spices, and it lay in Joseph's tomb, they weep as they handle him and 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 this this body in which deity had dwelt. For there again Satan had bruised his heel. The devil had let loose Herod, Pilate, Caiaphas, and the Jews and the Romans. That is all, however. It is only his heel and not his head that is bruised. For lo, the champion rises again. Hallelujah. Satan delivered a terrible blow to Jesus on Good Friday. No doubt he thought he had thrown a knockout punch, but he was wrong. All he did was strike Jesus on the heel. As painful as it was, that suffering was nothing compared to what Jesus did to Satan. Second, when Christ died, he destroyed the works of the devil. According to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the second part, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The word destroy doesn't mean to annihilate. It means to render powerless. Like a mighty machine that's lost its power, when Jesus died on the cross, he pulled the plug on Satan. To all those that trust Christ as their Savior, Satan does not have power over you. In fact, you have power over Satan. He that's in you and me right now is greater than he that is in this world. Praise God. In this present age, Satan seems to be very powerful, but he can do nothing without God's express permission. He's like Samson, shorn of his locks, unable to do anything on his own. The day is coming when his utter impotence will be revealed to the universe and those who followed him will discover that they were following a toothless lion. I like what one preacher said. He said the devil goes about as a roaring lion, but Jesus pulled his teeth at Calvary. Now, if you're not a Christian, that does not apply to you. If you're not a Christian, you are, you, the door is open for the enemy to come into your life, your family, your home, and do terrible, terrible, devastating damage. Ah, but if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, His victory has become your victory. His victory is our victory today. This also means that sin's power is broken over them that put their trust and believe on Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I want to read this from the Amplified. It said, But he who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil, takes his character from the evil one, For the devil has sinned and violated the divine law from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was made manifest or visible was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works that the devil has done. Our friend, there's nothing greater than seeing someone whom the devil has influenced and controlled, who has lived in in the terrible, terrible sway of sin, 
come to know Christ as their Savior and be set free from that prison house and to see those chains of darkness broken. Hallelujah. And to see that person begin to live in the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Friend of mine, Satan's influence to sin is broken. His works are destroyed in the believer's life through Christ's victory on the cross. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18 says it very clearly. For we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, that that wicked one touches him not. It doesn't mean that we don't stumble, that we don't falter. It means that we don't live our life as a Christian under sin's sway and sin's persuasion. And when we find ourselves tripping up, we immediately go before God. We can't let it continue in our life without conviction and without repentance. We come before God. We bow before God. We seek and find forgiveness from God. Sin is not the dominant principle in our life any longer. We have a bent toward righteousness. Hallelujah. First John chapter 5 and verse 19 says, And we know that we are of God and the whole world. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Literally, the New International says, literally under the control of the evil one. And one paraphrase says, the power and control of the evil one. Satan's power over us is broken. We are no longer under his control and his controlling influence. God's holy seed is now in us. And it is a brand new nature. Hallelujah. A new nature. The Bible said if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creature. All things are passed away. And all things are become new. All things are passed away. And all things are become new. Uh, that's the glory of what Jesus has done at the cross for you and me. He doesn't just forgive our sins and leave us a prisoner of Satan's domain. He doesn't just forgive our sins. The Bible literally says we have been translated out of the powers of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We have been translated. It's a spiritual accomplishment that is brought to us because of what Jesus did at Calvary. That is the triumph of the cross. Oh, friend, Jesus was not a victim on that cross. He was gaining a victory on that cross. And His victory is our victory. That's why the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15, Verse 57 and 58, Thanks be unto God which gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, friend. There is such victory in Jesus today. 
Somebody listening to this broadcast says, Preacher, I, I just don't feel like I could ever live the Christian life. Well, I'm going to give you, uh, give you that. You can't in and of yourself. Neither could the Apostle Paul, neither could anyone who ever followed Jesus. But God has made a provision to work within the human heart, the human soul, the human mind. He has done it at the cross. It was provided at the cross. It is brought to us and manifest to us by the Holy Spirit Himself. He comes in. There's something called regeneration. <laughs> it's a transformation. It is a, a regeneration. It's something spiritual that occurs where we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life in Jesus Christ. It don't mean we don't struggle. It means that we win. Hallelujah. It may, doesn't mean the battle is over. It means that we triumph in spite of the fight that, that ensues after we become a Christian. You know, my flesh is weak and so is yours. And there's always going to be a battle occurring between the flesh and the spirit. But Jesus has won the victory so that we can win that battle. And he did it in the triumph of the cross Praise God. Third thing that happened when Jesus died is Satan's power of death was broken forever. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 expresses this in beautiful language. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I want to submit to you today of all the fears that grip the hearts of modern men and women. None is greater than the fear of death. We don't like to talk about death and in fact we'll do anything to change the subject. That's one reason we turn to alcohol, drugs, uh, all kinds of sins and pursuit of power. It's it's also the reason why we become fanatic about our health. Deep down in the human heart, there's a fear of death that Satan uses to help keep us enslaved. I'm not saying today that the prospect of dying is a happy one. Death is the result of Adam's sin and ours. Death is called the last enemy to be destroyed through Christ's victory at the cross. Satan's power to claim souls through death and to control through the fear of death is broken. As a Christian, when you take your last breath on earth, you'll take your next breath in heaven. For Christ has destroyed Satan's power to hold you a prisoner of death. Praise God. That's why Paul said, in 1 Corinthians 15, before those last two verses I read to you, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. When Jesus died on the cross, death cheered. It looked like death reigned. But when Jesus rose on the third day, death died. Hallelujah. Not that death doesn't reign over mortal bodies here upon the earth, but those who have trusted Christ, death, death will never touch that eternal part of you and that eternal part of me. Praise God. Today there is victory in Jesus because he was not a victim 
on the cross. He was gaining a victory. You know, the scripture said, if the princes of this world had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. It wasn't Pilate and Rome and political powers. It was those principalities. If the devil had known God's plan to save and to deliver, he would have protected Jesus from ever dying on that cross. Because through that death came our salvation and our victory. Friend, if you don't know Jesus today, as your Lord, as your Savior, I pray right now that you won't let His death and His resurrection be in vain, but that you will come right now to the foot of the cross, that you will repent of your sin, that you will cry out to Him and say, Lord, save me. Wash me in your blood. Cleanse me from my sin and deliver me from the influence of the evil one. And let me bow to you and follow you the rest of my life. A miracle will occur. Something supernatural will occur. The Holy Spirit will manifest to you all that Jesus has provided for you at the cross. Come to Christ today. Come to the cross today. In Jesus' name I pray. Friends, our time is gone. Would you please come back next week and let's talk about Jesus.